Ross, welcome. Thank you, John. How you doing? Good. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. We've, uh, of course, chatted a long time over the years and uh, been trying to get you on, and I'm really, really excited. We'll talk about the book. We'll talk about your history. We'll talk about what you're doing now. We'll talk about a lot of things as much as we can, but I have to start where I always do. What are you wearing on feet these days? I know you're probably still cycling. That's probably not what people want to wear here about your cycling shoes. So what about sneakers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm actually not wearing anything, any shoes right now because it's kind of early, but uh, <laughs> I've actually been wearing some of the Puma basketball shoes lately. I was fortunate, uh, thanks to a friend, Morgan Murphy, to go to the last, as it turned out, WNBA finals game. And uh, I ended up buying a pair of uh, Brianna Stewart's for that um unfortunately probably half size too small women's 11 probably should have gotten a women's 11 and a half they didn't have it um wearing those tied tight for a whole night was a lot and then yesterday thanks to my friend Clyde Edwards at Puma I got a pair of uh the new Lamello balls the I think they're the MB.03 which is a very technical name for a very uh loud shoe um they actually kind of remind me of like back when like Ben Trill clothing was around, that kind of stuff. Lots of prints, lots of lots of words. Um, wore those yesterday. They're again very loud, purple, pink, like slime green. I'm definitely out of the age bracket for those, I think. But um, as I'm sure we'll talk about, like I don't know, just writing the book got me back in the mood of like, man, like a lot of these shoes became what they became because people wore them when they were brand new and when they were made strictly for basketball. So um, I've kind of tried to get back in that habit. So um, besides those two Pumas, I actually bought a pair finally of the Jason Tatum's, the Jordans that I wore like the day we did the launch and I haven't worn them since then, but they'll be back in the rotation too. The only, the only danger to all this is they're all roughly mids and my ankles are messed up bad from like spraining them all the time when I was younger and you wear a pair of mids all day and they hit me in exactly the wrong spot. And uh, that's something I got to get used to again. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It sounds like you're, uh, I wouldn't say getting back into your old ways of rocking mm -hmm. uh, new and unreleased things and things like that. Um, but uh, a little bit of that, right? A little bit of that. So, yeah. and we'll, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that, but um. I wanted to do something fun, and I usually don't go off my usual routine, but I was reading um, the foreword by Bobito, who's been on the podcast a few times, to your new book, A History of Basketball and 15 Sneakers. So he did the foreword, and in it, he kind of, uh, well, he did throw back to an interview you did with him way back in the day, and you had this great idea. Instead of asking the same boring questions, at least that's how he described it, uh, you held up some sneakers to him and got his impression. So I'm going to bite that idea since um, it's probably been, what, maybe 20 years? So I think maybe yeah. the statute of limitations of... And, of and I should add, <laughs> I bit that concept from Bobito because Bobito's whole thing in the source was the column up front of Bobito spins the tracks and rapper or singer X states the fact. So it was like he would play a song and they'd talk about it. So I was like, oh all right, I'm going to flip this on him with shoes. So, um, yeah, that's where that came from. That was that was actually his idea, um, you know, turned upside down a little bit. Cool. But yeah, Glad you're down. crediting him. I'm crediting you, and uh, so we're going to credit him. 
Uh, just your first impression, maybe, um, you know, maybe like a Cole's note of what you did in your book for what it means to you. Here we go. Uh, for sure, right, a familiar air, one for the, you. Yeah, the air trainer one, the chlorophyll air trainer ones. Those are those are still a favorite. I have I briefly, briefly, briefly had a period where I would buy two pairs when they um, were readily available and um, seemed like something I would wear out. And I bought two pairs of those back in, I want to say 2012 when they retroed. Um, that's when they came with that. I don't know if they do that now, that egg crate insole, which is almost like a... It's almost like a massager insole, like it is like an egg crate. But yeah, I mean, I look at those and I think of John McEnroe. You know, I think of uh, him getting them in a shipment of shoes apparently back then, and them telling Nike telling him like, "Look, try these out, but please don't wear these like in public." And of course, he immediately wore them in a tournament, which he won, I believe, and then ended up making them basically his shoe. Um, and just the concept of cross training and doing that all round shoe. And uh, to me, that's still, you know, it's the first one and it's still the best one to me. Like, sure. There's all the ones after that. They did air max. They did various visible air ones, but air trainer one, I don't know if it's the balance of the color or like, you know, the four foot strap or what it was, but that's still the ultimate one to me. Cool. Um, take it take it a little bit forward in terms of the timeline of sneakers I'm sure you know these ones uh, a little the, bit uh yeah the lance mountain jordan ones i okay it's funny i bought a pair of the black ones at round two i think i paid i don't know 350 bucks something like that more, more than i normally would for a pair of shoes and they sat in one of my drop fronts for like a month or two and I realized I wasn't wearing them and I brought them back and I sold them back to them and probably lost money on it. It was a cool concept. You know, I love the original Lance Mountain ad they took that from. I think it was an indie trucks ad. He's wearing one Carolina blue and white and I believe one royal blue and black, um, which is funny to me that they didn't, you know, they, they did the concept, but they didn't use the same mismatched shoes he wore. Uh you know, I feel like back then you look at all those photos of the Bones Brigade and whether it's uh, Tommy Guerrero or Steve Caballero, like a bunch of those dudes wore Jordan 1s. And you do get the idea that since guys were ollieing through stuff, like, and you wonder, like, because they had so many and guys were wearing so many different colors, <laughs> you get the idea that they just had a pile of them at the front door and guys would just grab the first two that were their size. I don't know. It's kind of funny. I I don't think anyone's ever really sussed out the whole Bones Brigade Jordan story, you know, where they got a shipment of them from Nike. Uh, I do know that I think it's Copeland Sports in California was selling those for a long time, like two pairs for 25 bucks. So I would imagine some of it was that too. Like that's the, that's the amazing thing about the Air Jordan 1 is like you can kind of trace the modern skate shoe back to that shoe as well. Yep. That's why I asked you about it. I knew you'd uh, you'd have uh, some history. Here's another one. Uh, this uh, is a Stan Smith. Uh, oh, not the OG green, a different green. And the reason I brought this one up because I don't want to spoil what's on your list, but probably not room for too many Adidas in your uh, book. But I feel like that maybe might have been a uh, might have been close. There, 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 there's a couple in there. I mean, Stan. You know, the Stan Smith is obviously big just because of its being like one of the earliest signature shoes. You know, I find it funny that it started as a signature shoe, not for him, but for 
and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but it was Robert Hele of France, who was obviously a French champion, but not quite the global ranked guy that Stan ended up becoming. So when Hele retired, they just passed the shoe on to Stan. And obviously it's become synonymous with him to the point that I believe his book was called I'm Not a Shoe or something to that effect. You know, I think people look at it, look at Stan as being like the Stan Smith. So um, it kind of tangentially worked into the book because at the same time, Adidas was developing the superstar and the pro model and their leather basketball shoes. That's around the time they were doing the Stan Smith. So um, you had that soul, which is a basically a series of dots and kind of another another version of herringbone where it's like all directional traction. So they were kind of making advances in, in leather shoes, period. I, I still have a pair of, did I get rid of them? I might've gotten rid of my old stands. Finally, I had a pair of like, they reissued them through Barney's. So it was kind of a high end version of it. in like the 2012 around there, 13. Yeah. The soles finally dried out too much. They were getting too slippery and I figured I was going to like, fall and kill myself the uppers were getting good though but i think i have another pair of those actually back in the stash somewhere so maybe next summer <laughs> nice this is too much fun i'm gonna give you three more oh air max 95 sergio lozano i believe neons that's a pair i've had and i didn't wear very much i ended up actually ended up trading the last pair of those i had from one of the last retros to my friend ben ward who worked for gt bicycle goes at the time for a bike frame and i thought that was a pretty good trade on my behalf i don't wear running shoes very much i would wear them to run and i don't run very much anymore either because my knees don't like it so you know it's kind of funny and i talk about this a little bit where it's like you see all these things about must own shoes and to me like that's just all bs like you don't have to own anything if you don't want to you don't have to own a shoe just because it's significant. You know, I could go through a list of stuff and like, there are so many significant shoes that I don't own and have probably either never worn or don't wear like, and Air Maxes are definitely one of those categories. Like at the time, at, at the moment, I don't think I own a single pair of 95s. I don't own any 90s. I think the only Air Max ones I have are a pair of, uh, what do you call it? When they did like the fuse versions of them, like, there was some yeah, ID thing I did like, with yeah. Tinker. But yeah, I mean, I still appreciate, obviously, the the gradation of the 95. Like, I think it's a beautiful shoe, but, you know, it's just not one that ever really worked for my personal wearing. Yeah, we're getting into a lot of topics I wanted to talk about. So I appreciate you holding off on getting too deep. Uh, here's oh, one. Yeah. Maybe maybe this one is a conversation. It's a 991 gray and navy and new balance. It's the 20th anniversary. Maybe this one, um, I don't know if you, ha you have historical comments, but maybe this could bring up what you think about what's going on with new balance, this model, those models these days. Uh, uh, new balance... New Balance to me was always cool. Like, I don't think New Balance had to go to the extent they're going now to prove it. I think they have way too many models going on at the same time now. I think things have gotten a little confusing. I think they're kind of, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but it strikes me they're kind of in that flood the zone sort of era that Nike and Jordan do. And I don't think there's any need for it. You know, it's like, I see people post, like, I forget whether it was one of the SNS guys, like, 
you know, about needing all the gray New Balance. And it's like, yo, that's like not the point. Like the whole idea of gray New Balance is you can find a pair that you like and you can buy it forever. Obviously, like they had models that stayed out for a long time, whether it be obviously the 574, but like, you know, the 576, the 990. And now it just seems like they're raking all that up from their past, as well as doing all these different colors of it. And it's like, no, you guys like had it right the first time, like the basic grays and blues. Like if if you're someone who is super, super, super into sneakers, sure. Like you can differentiate all those models and I'm sure there's different ones that people like better. But like, if you're more of a casual sneaker consumer, which I think a lot of people are, a gray New Balance is a gray New Balance. You don't need like a zillion different ones. The only pair I actually own, I know I have two pairs that I wear on a quasi-regular basis. I have a pair of 990s, the V1s from their, when they originally retroed them. And I want to say like, again, like early 2010s, like probably like 2011 with the Vibram Soul and like made in USA. They're great. I love those. Like they're not as high tech as the 991 or 996, but you know, that to me is like the quintessential New Balance. And then the other pair I wear that I wear is like literal walking shoes are a pair of, man, and I'm going to get the number wrong too. It's not the 2012, but it, it, it's the super crazy, like high-end US made. The sole is stitched around the bottom, like a dress shoe. They were like, I want to say they retailed for 250 in like, 2010 2011 and the only reason i asked my new balance connect for a pair was because like they were so absurdly expensive and i don't think i wore them for like close to 10 years and then during the pandemic when i was breaking out a bunch of stuff that i hadn't worn yet like i wore those and it's like oh these are like a really well-made essentially walking shoe and i don't see too many other people wearing them so but yeah outside of that you know the teddy santa stuff the aim leon door which I, I probably just pronounced wrong like any of that, I I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. You know, I know they brought the 580 back recently. To me, that was a shoe that looked really cool on the shelf. And you put it on and it's like, wait a minute, this, whoever designed this had maybe seen a human foot before, but didn't have human feet. I'm not sure. It just didn't fit right. It was like, I think I called it before and I'll stand by it like a boot cut sneaker. It's just wild loose. And like, if you try and tighten it, then it looks weird. I That shoe just didn't do it for me. So yeah, I respect a lot of the New Balance stuff, but I think they're making probably 10 times as much as they need to, just in terms of different SKUs, like not in terms of number of shoes. I feel like, yeah, like New Balances are cool, but I don't know how many anyone really needs. Okay. Last one in this segment. Oh, uh, yes. There's... Oh, wait, so are those, the, are the, is that an ID pair? No. Okay, I couldn't tell because just the way the, uh, it almost looked like suede. Yeah, no, the Black Cement Supremes were a big thing for me. And like, you know, my pair, I remember going to Supreme like, I think five times in the same week because they would trickle them out. They would sell like a dozen pairs a day, maybe, probably backdoored more to friends, but that's okay. You know, and just you get to the counter like, hey, do you have a size nine and a half in black? No, try again tomorrow. All right. <laughs> And eventually I did get a pair and I don't know why I didn't keep trying to get the white pair. I'm still kind of mad at myself for that at my past self, but I mean, you know, that was 2002. So it's like, there wasn't much cement print going on, you know, like the, the threes, I don't believe have been retroed again. 
since the time they originally were retro in 95 or 94. So, you know, the, the, that pattern and colorway was pretty unusual to see. So, you know, I think like if you wore them around, some people would know it was a Supreme SB, but a lot of people would just be like, what is that Jordan basically? You know, I got them back to the office and I put them on and I essentially didn't take them off for the next year. Like I destroyed those. I wore that pair like you used to wear shoes back in like junior high. Like at first, yeah, I probably babied them a little bit. I do believe I probably tied them that first day and didn't untie them for years because all I want out of a pair of sneakers is a pair I can leave by the door laced up already and just slip them on and off. Eventually, those got worn to bars. They got worn on my bike. They got worn in the mud, in the rain. I still have them. They're still in the box or they're back in the box. Almost as like a casket at this point. I have the original receipt, which I finally put in like a little Ziploc bag. I think they were 128, which I believe was Supreme Tail, as we called it back then. Um, Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was 198 or maybe that was the highs. I don't remember. Anyway, but yeah, the soles are like craze cracked like to a glaze like I, I don't think you could wear them like the uh the sock liner is torn all the way to the plastic heel counter you know could they be quote unquote restored maybe but um funny enough i actually i bought a pair at um at round two like uh i don't know how many years ago this was five years ago before they went crazy because i saw them they posted them And I was like, oh, shit, I want to pick those up. And I was out of town or whatever. So I went the next day and they were still there. And I got them for $4.50 in the box. They're a little, one of them's a little bit yellow. And I don't know where the hell the box went. I keep looking for it in storage and I don't know. There's another pair of dunks in that box too, which is annoying. But it's funny, like I wore that original pair into the ground and these I don't want to wear as much. And I haven't. I wore them in Tokyo. It just comes to like where there's been this big change. And like I said, the original ones, you wore them back then. It was like, oh, what are those? Or like maybe this small group would know they were a Supreme. And and now it's kind of like everyone knows what they are. And the main thing is like, oh, my God, do you know how much those are worth? Like, that's not any conversation I wish to have with anybody. So I've probably worn those like five times in five years. So, oh, well, (laughs) we move on. I knew I knew that one was significant to you, of course, because I saw, you know, I've seen your pictures and posts and even that receipt, uh, you, you showing the receipt. The, I think this is a perfect sort of segue into this kind of big topic for, you know, not just necessarily older collectors or if you want to call us that, uh, just anyone. The idea of, you know, curious what 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 the stash looks like these days, because over the pandemic and probably over other years, you got rid of some, you sold some, you gave some away. But there still is some attachment to certain pairs, obviously, right? I mean, ones that you made with Tinker or Supremes or things. So how do you kind of, how do you kind of, do you think about it at all? Or you just kind of go with the flow? I mean, the idea of being someone who wants these things and, you know, can't get rid of them because it's hard to get rid of stuff. And, and the idea of, I don't need all these. Right. I mean, I think the pandemic made me think about it to an extent, um, partially because, you know, you're home and there's really not much you can do about it. And partially because all my stuff kind of ended up in the same place, like a lot of it was in storage already, but I wasn't really that close to the storage unit. And at this point, that was one of the few places I could go. So like, you know, I would go there to try and like deal with stuff and I would end up just sitting sort of looking in there being like, man, like, I don't even know what, where to start, you know? And 
I also look at it as it was a collection in part, like back in when eBay first started up, you know, Tony Gervino, who was the editor of Slam before me, and I like, we were buying a lot of vintage. There were sites like Vintage USA that sold old dead stock. So like in those like few years before retro really kicked off, like we were hunting a lot of older stuff. That was cool. But then for a long period, you know, at Slam and even in the between period and then at Complex, like I was getting sent a lot. And I kind of didn't realize it till after, but when you're getting sent a lot of shoes, it, it sort of gets you to buy more too. So stuff just piled up, you know, and a lot of it would end up in that storage unit or in the office or wherever, where I was just like, all right, I don't know if I love this, but I'll definitely get to, I'll wear it someday. That sort of allowed it to just get out of hand and get to a point. I never counted. I mean, I, I still haven't counted. I So, you know, to get that out of the way, I couldn't tell you how many pairs I have or how many I topped out at. You know, then you had the combined sort of pandemic and literally like a month into like when things were really unofficially locked down as it as it is. I turned 50 and it was like, all right, if I'm going to wear these later, like and I'm turning 50 now, like isn't later now? Like, haven't we reached that point? Isn't this like where if I'm going to wear it, I would have worn it by now. So I think at that point was when I decided, okay, I can start getting rid of a lot of the easy stuff to get rid of. A lot of the stuff that I'm clearly never going to wear, whether it was various collabs I got sent that maybe I wore once or maybe I never wore and just sat around because like I didn't want to get rid of them or like old Dunk SBs I bought for on clearance for 50 bucks on Active or on Premiere or whatever, like that I'd literally forgotten I bought. And that was the thing too, because like out of sight, out of mind, like I had stuff in storage, I opened boxes and I was like, wait a minute, I bought this? Or like, I got sent this? Like, I don't, I don't even remember it. And it was kind of like, you know, I think we all have those moments, you see it and you're like, oh shit, I'm definitely going to wear these. And it's like, dude, five minutes ago, you had no idea you even had these. Like, just get rid of them, forget it. Because I think like, and I do have clothes too, where I look at something and think like, oh man, like, yeah, I love this. I'm definitely going to wear this. And then you put it away. And the next time you think about it is when you look at it that way again, like five years later, right. you're like, oh man, I'm definitely going to wear this. Like, dude, no, you're not. Just forget it. Yeah. I, I mean, I sold a bunch. I left a bunch out. You know, I got in the habit of leaving things places. Clark was sort of an inspiration for that. You know, he would wear a pair all day and then leave it somewhere at the end of the day. I haven't quite gotten to that point because I haven't gotten in the habit of carrying an extra pair because I don't want to walk around in bare feet. But like, yeah, I would just like, I would just tag them. You know, I would leave a note on the inside of the box or on a post-it in the box being like, hey, like you found these, keep them, tag me and leave my ad. And like nine times out of 10, I wouldn't hear anything. But that one time out of 10 would be so cool that I would keep doing it. I did make a mistake early on where I started to like leave hints on my Instagram, like in stories, like, okay, I'm leaving this pair here. And I guess I didn't consider like, okay, I have like 20,000 something Instagram followers, but how many of those are near me geographically? And the answer is not very many because one dude picked up like four pairs in a row. <laughs> and I was like, all right, like, that's fine. I obviously didn't set ground rules. Like there's no law against it. 
but I'm not leaving stuff out just to like build up one guy's collection. <laughs> so, you know, I stopped leaving hints. I kept leaving shoes out, but I would like, you know, maybe take a photo of the shoe in my car being like, all right, these are going out tonight, but would not say where just in hopes that the right person would find it. I don't know. The best one was, I believe they were the Kobe eight Christmas pair that look like stained glass. Is that the eight? It had like a yellow, a translucent yellow outsole. Pretty sure it was. I had a pair of those that I'd worn a couple times and I would wear them like on Christmas or whatever, like fine. And I was just like, all right, I, I just can't. I'm not going to wear these again. I should probably get rid of them. And I think I listed them for sale a few times. Separate thing, but like there was like a good year after Kobe passed away that I was like, I am not selling a pair of Kobe's. Like, I do not want to capitalize on this. By then, I feel like it had sort of quieted down a little bit. And obviously, these were worn and like no one really bit. I'm like, ah, I could keep them, but I've got enough already. So, like around Christmas time, this is probably two years ago, I went to a local court. It had snowed, it was icy. I sort of walked in through a back gate. Surprised I didn't get stopped by anyone and just slung them over the top of a basket and left them there. And the next day I get a message from some kid's mom being like, oh, my God, like my son found these like he wanted them so badly. It must have been after Christmas because I think she said he wanted like that those for Christmas. And it was like, all right, that's a little weird that you wanted a pair of Kobe's from however many years ago. But all right. But yeah, like super psych. And then later on, even like weeks later, she sends me a photo of him wearing them in a game. And I'm like, all right, this is exactly what I hope for with this stuff. You know, it's like, I don't even care if it's made up. I don't think it is. Like, I think it was legit. But like, that's, yeah, that 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 was like the whole reason. So there were even pairs I got in that time frame that I would wear like a couple times and leave out. You know, I had a pair of, there was one of the Kith New Balance pairs. I forget which ones they were, but wore those a couple times and left them out. Um, I think it was a pair of bodega new balance too maybe so that kind of became a little bit of a fun thing where it's like you wear it a couple times and leave it for someone else we remember the you remembered the uh supremes or mentioned the supremes what about pairs that other pairs like that that you would maybe never let go you, you know you mentioned dj clark kent i know you did a couple pairs of adidas with him i imagine that's a pair you wouldn't give away right are there ones right. like that that you were involved with or maybe someone gifted you or maybe you just have a fond memory of picking up I, i'm sure there's too many to talk about <laughs> but maybe there's a few yeah i have a bunch of pairs like that i have a pair of original adidas the kobe's you know the 2001 pair the first pair that looked like the audi in Kobe's size 14, signed from Kobe to me. It's like to Russ, God bless Kobe, something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously those I would never let go. When was Clark that from an interview with him, did he give them to you when you? It, it was after. It was after. after one of them. Like I think it was Kicks, probably Kicks three, like the first cover of his, because we did that first cover and then we did a second cover the next year. And then I want to say, like, I mean, there's a bunch. There's a bunch, but I have a pair of. The one Oregon pair of shoes I have is a pair of Oregon, I think Jordan 29s that Tinker had sent to both me and Clark after we interviewed him at Nike, you know, in the innovation kitchen. And it's like, you know, that's again, like I didn't go to Oregon. So like, it's not, a, it's not something I really like look for, but the idea of getting them straight from Tinker, like, all right, I got to keep those. 
And it's funny, like, I still have most of my vintage stuff. I still have most of the stuff I bought back in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, um, which is kind of funny to think about because some of that stuff was only, like, 10 years old then. You know, that, that, that was kind of one of the things I realized when I was purging, where it was, like, the stuff that meant the most to me was the stuff I got early on. The stuff I got, like, when retro really wasn't a thing, when when a lot of those shoes were actually harder to come by. You know, I even still have, I have a, I don't know where they are right now, but I have a pair of like black gold Reebok questions that were the first ever pair of shoes I got seated by a company in 1996. Like I wore those like for outdoor hoops and stuff and like they're still wearable, but you know, pairs like that. I still have my first pair of uh, Shox BB4s that I used to wear to play outdoors. And and those those you kept not because like the maybe the first pair you seated has that value that it, it means something there, but there's also pairs that you just keep because you love them they mean a lot to you not not oh, because yeah, of who yeah, yeah. right and it was stuff i wore you know it's like i still have my pair of uh i still have my pair of viotech dunks that i bought at a life rivington part of the reason i keep them even is because it still has the a life rivington price sticker on it and that was probably one of the first pairs i ever bought there and i just you know i look at that box even and i think about oh yeah like i remember going there seeing them i don't think i'd seen them before and being like, oh, man, should I buy these? And it's like, it's hilarious to think about now because they were like $65. It's like, man, you were like not sure about buying a pair of Dunks for 65 bucks. Like, you know, what are they, like 120 now or whatever they are? So unfortunately, there's a lot like that. You know, it's like I could probably go through and like I would get to a point where it's like, wait a minute, there's this many pairs you're going to keep forever? Like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I feel like obviously we got we got to get rid of everything someday. So I don't want to say nothing is, you know, I don't want to say anything is completely uh, unsellable or I'll never, ever, ever get rid of it. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of pairs that still have meaning to me personally. And I think like, you know, that that's probably why I was able to get rid of some of the stuff I did, because like, yeah, it's cool. But if I never wore it or barely ever wore it, it didn't have that same personal meaning which i think is what matters more than like oh this is rare who cares <laughs> i had teddy king on and uh, he was telling me stories about you know coming into town skating as a kid he was he was from outside of new york do you remember like did you do that coming from long island when you were young and and checking out like how did you sort of come on to the scene and discover these things was it when you were young or when when, when you were old uh, a little bit older I mean, when I was younger, I would come into the city, but like a lot of it was me and my friend Chad from high school. Like we would go to Knicks games. This was like the late 80s. I was a Jordan fan. He was a Dominique Wilkins fan. So like every year, basically, we would come see the Bulls and the Hawks. I feel like I think we saw like Jordan drop 45 on the Knicks and Neek drop like 47 from up in the 400s. I didn't really get into like sneaker shopping in the city until I lived there. And that would have been in like 96. So... You know, I was there like prior to when really boutiques started to kick off. You know, I did a lot of my early sneaker shopping in the city on 34th Street in like the old Foot Locker and like VIM and uh, what was the other place? Dr. J's. There were a ton of little sneaker stores too. Like all that stuff's gone now, but like Broadway between like Penn Station and Slam's offices, which are on 25th. There were a bunch of those little spots, like mom and pop type places that had sneakers and shrink wrap on the wall, a lot of outdated stuff. I don't remember buying much vintage stuff from there, but like you would occasionally find things at those shops because like 
a lot of people would go to the big stores and forget those little ones existed. So stuff was always available. Paragon, you know, it's like Bobito talked about Paragon and where'd you get those? And like before they they've unfortunately remodeled the place. But when sneakers were downstairs in Paragon, like that was just amazing to go down there because like, you know, that's where you'd find all the obscure, weird performance stuff. You know, I bought like Babalot tennis shoes from there and stuff like that. You go downstairs for like the sneakers and jerseys. They would occasionally have like pro cut NBA jerseys too. So I never did buy a pair of sneakers at Jerry Cosby. I kind of regret that just for the experience alone. It would have been cool to buy even like some sort of random pair there just to have a pair from Jerry Cosby. But oh, well, I guess we all have regrets. So you're you're working now, you're you're shopping for sneakers and you're working at Slam, but it wasn't writing about sneakers at the beginning. It was writing about basketball. It was, I mean, it was both to a degree. I mean, when I first discovered Slam, which was at a Delaware supermarket at like two in the morning, I flipped through it. And, you know, obviously the basketball stuff appealed, but the sneaker stuff as well, because it's like, okay, this is where like the intersection of my interests lie. And then like the idea is seeing like, you know, Scoop Jackson and Bones Malone writing for it. And just the stuff was like completely like different than a lot of the other stuff I was reading at the time. So it's like, I really, really, really need to find a way to write for these guys. And I basically just pestered them until I finally got, until I finally got like an assignment first. And then when Dave Lewis, who was the previous managing editor left and someone else stepped up into that role, a space opened up and they wanted to hire me. And it's like, all right, yeah, this is absolutely what I've been like angling for the whole time. So, I mean, getting from, first contact to that took a couple of years but you know it, it, in retrospect it feels like it happened faster than that the journalist in me but also i'm sure listeners are curious how much of the push or um, evolution into more sneaker coverage both at slam and complex was something that you had to push or just people wanted and the teams there and then the people's the people who made decisions were said okay yeah let's do it like did you have to say we should do this more or was it the right time um i think it was the right time i think things were <clears throat> i think things were growing in that direction at the time you know it's like those first jordan retros hit in 94 95 no one really cared and then by 2000 2001 when they hit again like everyone was really primed for it you know the the, the sneaker section and slam was a big thing before I got there. It was a big thing from the beginning. I think, you know, one push I made with that, with regard to that was like really pestering companies to send player issue stuff. Cause you would see guys wearing stuff with their number on it or in team colors and stuff you couldn't buy in stores. And it was like, wait a minute, like why can we only see this like on their feet in action photos? Like I know they make extra pairs, like send these to us. So we would eventually start getting various and sundry um player editions and some of them accidentally might have never made their way back to the companies which on the one hand maybe they wanted for their archive in which case sorry on the other hand uh you know by the time we got it and shot it like the players were probably on to the next thing so it's not like they were going to wear them i think i have a pair somewhere of a red steve francis wink dmx from his rookie season I forget whether it was the dunk contest or the all-star game. I think he wore it in the all-star game. And supposedly they made two pairs and Steve wore the one pair in the game. And I have the other pair. I think like, and also back then, once guys at brands knew that I was looking for that stuff, they would send it anyway. 
you know, I definitely remember getting like whole boxes of sample stuff from Nike and just being like, you know, Christmas morning kind of thing. You know, complex by the time I got hired there, I mean, that's in, that's what they were looking for. You know, they wanted someone to basically do the sneaker stuff. So that was like just a case of desires overlapping. So that was easy. But yeah, I mean, Slam Slam was building it up and then, you know, Kicks 1 happened and it was a single sponsor book with Nike. So Nike was a sole advertiser and they basically said like, whatever you want, we'll give you. You know, it was like basically an all access pass to everything Nike. And Tony and I, who had both been like, obviously buying up all this old stuff, we're just like, oh my God, like we can do anything. That's when we interviewed designers. You know, we got a reel of every single Nike basketball commercial ever made. You know, they sent us images of every Nike basketball shoe ever. So we were able to do this like incredible kind of, especially for the time, like deep dive into what Nike basketball was. And since it was a single sponsor book and we were only doing Nike, we could get into like so much more of it, you know, and like guys, there were guys I talked to for the book and guys I still talk to now who I first met doing that project, you know, whether it be Jim Riswold at Wyden and Kennedy or Aaron Cooper, who was then at Nike or Eric Avar or Tinker, like, and I think that opened things up for even a lot of people who were super into sneakers. Like if you were super into sneakers back in the late nineties, you might've known who Tinker was, but I don't know if we really knew like other designers. I think a lot of that stuff was still kind of like almost viewed as magic. You know, it's like, oh, these sneakers find their way to the shelves and like, we want them real bad and the commercials are great, but like all the background stuff was kind of like just not that well known. And I think we helped a little bit in opening the door for that, all that. Absolutely. You know, Complex, obviously a leader now in the sneaker media space and things like that, but maybe in a bigger picture, what they're doing and what other people are doing, obviously your work paving the way for, for this sort of mass coverage of sneakers now we've seen maybe the popularity of or maybe maybe the proper popular resale as peaking but you know i still think sneakers are you know becoming and continuing to become so mainstream and people asking you know who would never ask you so i'm wondering what role do you think you know the media is are, are they appropriately covering it or when you see it is it seem like too much i feel like it is but that's probably just my uh my feed is not properly um, uh, curated. It's interesting. Like I wrote for, so I wrote a sneaker column for Mass Appeal in the, in the, in the 2000, like, I don't know, the aughts, like, I forget what year it was, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, following Chris Hall, who's like a big collector, digger, who's into antiques now and posts like the most outrageous stuff on Instagram, like early 1900s car and motorcycle advertising paraphernalia. And I remember I wrote a column for them because it was a monthly column. And one of them was about how I thought the bubble was going to pop. I think I was right in a way. And I was clearly like super wrong at the same time. Like, I think at that point, even those of us who really grew up in it, those of us who like got a lot of old stuff when you had to like dig for vintage. And even like if you weren't literally digging, like you had to know different sites to go on. You had to have proper eBay searches set. You know, I think it was already starting to lose some of its appeal then because retro was getting so big. And what I really didn't envision was this subculture becoming like just gobbled up by mass consumer. You know, I I didn't see like, quote unquote, sneakerheads becoming like a normal thing, like and everyone and their sister literally 
being into dunks or whatever else. So, and I don't know if that's a case of missing the forest for the trees. I guess it kind of is. But to kind of come back to what you're saying, like, I think like, I think the amount of sneaker media is okay. I mean, again, given how big the industry is and how many people are into it, like there should be a lot of people covering it. My biggest issue is like, I think it's imbalanced as far as like, there's a lot of, for me, there a lot of it is just thinly disguised PR. A lot of it is like, here's this cool new thing coming out next year. All right, there's like 500 shoes coming out before that shoe comes out. Like, who cares? And so much like around current releases instead of like, wait a minute, what are we even doing? You know, and I think like, unfortunately, there there's kind of a gap there where it's like, there's so much of that, like, just here's the new cool thing that's rare. And there's a fair amount of, okay, here's what's happening in the industry with like profit margins and production and how much product is sitting and whatever else. And there's this whole middle ground where it's like, wait a minute, what is the point of any of this that I don't think gets touched on enough? Or like, you know, is this going to carry on forever? Are we really just going to keep retroing the penny two until the heat death of the universe? Like, is that where we're at? Are we just going to cycle through like the first 14 Air Jordans forever? You know, I don't know if enough attention is being paid to that stuff in more of a, a critical way. I mean, maybe more of it will as time goes on. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, like a lot of the publications are relying on sneaker companies, whether it's through advertising or through them getting seeded stuff that you don't want to bite the hand that feeds. And I don't even know how much of that's intentional. You know, I feel like some of it has kind of become, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, I don't know, just the way it works now, like people don't even think about it. I don't know for my money there there and literally my money there's room to uh get a little more critical about like what it all means and, and like who's pu- sort of who's pulling the strings you know I feel like we've ceded so much control to the actual companies you know it's like again back then when we were buying vintage that didn't benefit Nike that didn't benefit Adidas you know if I bought a pair of 10-year-old Harachis in 2002 Nike didn't make a dime off it and they've kind of figured out like how to make vintage stuff or vintage styles keep paying. And for me, like I'd much rather have an original pair than a retro pair of anything. I have a pair of original flight Hirachis over here somewhere that I actually still wear. From the media perspective, it's probably survival. It's advertising. It's how the business is done. But I'm curious you know, and how much you pay. I know it's hard for me to pay attention to sneaker Twitter, quote, in quotes, but do you think any of those conversations are happening there? I know there's a lot of talk about like resell and what bricking and stuff, but you know, there are, you know, there are intelligent sneaker people on Twitter. Do you even look at that stuff? Yeah, I think some are. I mean, I think I, I think I hopefully do my part to try and drive some people in that direction. Like, if I use my Twitter for anything, it's, I'm well, besides book promotion, it's, it's that, you know, it's like, Kind of like I I think my my underlying message under every post I do about sneakers these days is like, what are we even doing? Like, is this really where we're at? Like, you know, and some of it is just so weird to me, you know, and like and, and so like uh, uh, what's the word? it's contradictory. You know, it's like we went through a period for decades 
of the all white Air Force One being this like thing that everyone would buy and like everyone would have it and summer comes around and you got to stock up and have all these pairs. And then like you have something like the and I hate the name, but I'll use it anyway, the Panda Dunks and like, oh, man, like those are corny. Like everyone has those. It's like, wait a minute. Really? Everyone has the all white and white Air Force Ones. Are those corny? No. So what's the difference? Like there is no difference to me. Like, you know, the Dunk is a shoe that's defined by kind of its contrast, the, the contrast in colors and the black and white throws it into the most relief, you know, and the white on white Air Force One is kind of the iconic version of that. So like, I don't get why one is like this iconic, super cool thing. And the other is this corny, like hot topic sorority girl kind of thing. Maybe it is because girls adopted it. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's a sexist thing. I don't even know, but I, I just think there's this weird thing where it's like, if something is accessible, it can't be cool. And it's like, okay, who's that helping? You know, is that helping you? No, it's helping the company because it's like, that means the inaccessible things will sell out immediately. And when you get the StockX email 10 minutes after the release, when it sells out, maybe you'll shell out 200% retail for it right away. You know, and I don't know. I don't think any of it has to be that complicated. Uh, you know, I go back to like, obviously, where'd you get those? Or like even later into the early 2000s, the whole point was to wear something that people hadn't seen and to wear something interesting and cool. And like, you get that stuff without spending a ton of money. And now it all seems to be like this, how much did you spend on these? And it's like, nah, that doesn't interest me. Yeah, and that's sneaker people who have that problem and that contradictory. When you go to the playground and my my niece shows up with a pair of panda dunks and all her friends are not heavy sneaker people, they like them. They, they, she she got a pair. She finally got right. a pair. So it's not right. it's not it's the normal people. No, no, and, and, and I think even way. I think kids even like you see kids wearing like current performance stuff. You know, whether it's the Puma Mellows or like I know like. Kyrie's were big with kids because it was like, oh, you could get a signature shoe for like $110. You know, I'm sure like the John Morant's or the Jason Tatum's, like I'm sure the same thing. Like, again, the Tatum's, you could buy a pair of quote unquote Jordans for 120 bucks. Like, and I think kids before they kind of get indoctrinated into this, like, oh, retro is so cool. Like, I think they want the new stuff. You know, I think it's sad that people our age or people even younger kind of talk them out of it. You know, and like, or, or quote unquote sneaker media, like with all this attention paid to the old stuff where it's like, nah, like let them have what they want. Let them like get the new stuff, have, have something new that in 20 years you're going to remember fondly instead of something that's already like 30, 40 years old. Yeah. Okay, we could lighten it up a little bit before I let you go. Uh, without going through the list, because people should buy the book to find uh, the the fifteen shoes. <laughs> and uh, but did you do a count of how many of them you still own? Or I imagine you probably owned all of them at some point. Do you know? No, I did, well, I definitely didn't own all of them at some. Like the last one, the regular, the regular, the first Adapt BB. I never had a pair of those. I did hmm. have a pair of Adapt Twos. I never had a pair of Swoops. The original swoops. I, I actually, I wouldn't. The original swoops didn't really appeal to me very much. Um, the swoop zoom, I did like a lot, and I remember seeing those at the Nike employee store and trying them on, and like they just didn't work. Like they were too narrow, just the way they were built. And it's funny, like after the fact, I talked to Aaron Cooper. I think as like this was going to book was going to press or whatever, and he told me, and this made sense. Like 
they actually did a cost cutting move on that shoe where it was supposed to have this like elasticized or uh, stretchy like inner booty and to save money they made it non-stretch and i think that was part of the problem i seem to recall like trying to put it on and like hearing seams pop and being like all right this this ain't gonna work and there's some others like even like the air force max and like i love the air force max but i don't think i don't think i ever had a pair of those i had like the air force max cb i had like the barkley version that had a 34 on the heel strap and the crisscross straps but yeah i don't think i had those and there's a bunch of pairs obviously that i do still have like I definitely still have a pair of, well, I pretty much always had a pair of Chucks, like Superstars and Pro Models. What, what about top 10 somewhere? What What about anything that missed the cut? Were there any that sort of like you were like, I had to, you know, like, obviously it's not just a list. It's not a top 10 list when, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to, you obviously have to write about it. You have to talk about their significance. But I found your it was from 2013 your 50 moments that changed sneaker culture forever and that's like such a such a large <laughs> endeavor yeah. right to do yeah. this like it's like a book like that article probably was when you when forever you, yeah i mean when you first agree to do a book you know you, you sort of have this grandiose vision in your head about oh i can write about everything and then literally from that moment to the moment you're finished is all about leaving stuff out it's all about cutting because it's like, well, this book can't be a hundred thousand pages and it would take me a million years to write. So, you know, unfortunately it's all about reducing, reducing, reducing. And uh, I mean, I guess like th th there's two ways that I miss things. And, you know, the, the unfortunate way is like the ones in the middle where it's like, I should have probably, and could have done a whole chapter on the Reebok question. Like Alan Iverson is such a huge guy when it comes to sneakers. Um, but I, unfortunately I had the, once I realized I needed to talk about the swoops and the Jordan 11, those are right around the same era with the N1 Tai Chi. I talk about the beginnings of N1, which are also Iverson's rookie year. So like he kind of came to play in a bunch of those other chapters and I felt like, okay, I can like get away with not having this, but I still felt bad about it. That's like the number one, probably that would have been good to include. Number two in that period was one of the Ewing's. I don't know which one I would have picked. I never got, I didn't get quite that far, but Ewing having his own brand in the early nineties, when that was kind of unheard of, especially with basketball athletes. And like the fact that he wore his own brand in the dream team, you know, that was a huge thing. And then I think, you know, if I were to pick a third thing, it's like, unfortunately the book took longer than I thought it would from the time I proposed it to the time I really finished writing it not even finished editing it and it getting printed enough time had passed that it would have been cool to have another shoe beyond the adapt BB to get more to the current day. You know, I know even in the time I waited from like seeing proofs to it going on shelves, which is like almost a year, you're like, Oh my God, so much different stuff has happened. I don't know what the 16th shoe would have been, you know, someday, maybe if there's a second printing or a paperback printing, I'll do an extra shoe and to have an extra chapter, you know, whether that would be the Brianna Stewart two or the Lamello, one of the Lamellos or the Sabrina Ionescu Nikes. Like, I think like there've been enough different things now that I could add like another dimension to it with something beyond. And I think it's very cool that it would probably be something like that and not be another Air Jordan 
like I don't the Air Jordan 37 or 38 like wouldn't even enter into the, the conversation at all. You know, I think like I don't want to say the flagship Jordan is irrelevant at this point, but it kind of is. You know, I feel like if you're looking for a shoe and you're like an actual hooper or if you're a kid looking for even something interesting, you know, I think like even if you're buying a Jordan shoe, you're going to look at the Tatum or the Luca or the Zion, I think, even before the quote unquote flagship Air Jordan, because like who's even wearing it? You know, it's like if all their top NBA guys have their own shoes, why wouldn't you get one of those? You know, and my, my playing days are probably a bit behind me. Like, I don't know. I ride my bike too much. Like, I don't want to I don't want to risk blowing an ACL or tearing an Achilles and like having to lose like an entire riding year at my advanced age because I got smart and thought I could go out there and run with 20 year olds. But I mean, if I were to play, I would play in those Tatums. You know, I would play in the in the um, in the mellows. Like, I, I don't think like the Tatum to me is a pretty amazing looking as far as like tech setup performance shoe for 120 bucks, like I don't see the need to spend 200 on the new Jordan. So, you know, I, I think there's stories to be told there. The John Morant, you know, the John Morant for 110 bucks is a really cool thing. You, you're right so, about yeah. the young people. Definitely, you know, more affordable. They also want to wear something that has a name attached to them. I, I, I like the, well, I don't like them all, but I like the signature Jordan ones. But that's me just trying to wear the latest tech when well, I play. And and I that's the thing. Don't really play that much. I play like a minute. But that's the thing, right? And, and like I, I think like that's something I kind of learned of my about myself writing the book and something that, you know, I would hope people would take from it. You know, I don't I don't want people to read this and be like, oh my God, I need to own all 15 of these. You know, I don't think I don't think people will. You know, I think some of these choices are a little esoteric and like you know, I don't know if anyone's going to be running out to try and track down a pair of swoops, which I can say, like, as someone who tried to get like art and sneakers for this book is basically impossible, you know, or like go out and buy like a Curry one or even the Adapt BB, which I'm guessing is available for less than it retailed for at this point. You know, I, I think like for me, it was more like, OK, here are these shoes that were iconic in some way at some time. And like, what made them pop off the way they did, you know, like what, especially obviously in the book, like from a basketball standpoint, like why were these important? And, you know, I, I think it's less about like continually buying all this old stuff and more about, okay, okay, what current shoe makes me feel this way? Like what current shoe meets some of these qualifications or has hits all these like touchstones where it's like, a combination of, and generally speaking, it was a combination of like encore performance or encore achievements, you know, a cool, distinctive design. And unfortunately, this is a rarity nowadays, but like a really good marketing campaign, you know, whether it be TV ads or print ads or whatever else. And like, you know, I, I know like companies aren't really trying to do that as much anymore. A lot of it's online. A lot of it goes through quote unquote influencers you know, I, I think Nike realized, like, instead of paying Wyden and Kennedy millions upon millions of dollars for ads, they could just send shoes to people on Instagram and they'd post them and talk about them. But that's kind of why I wanted the Lamellos, because I'm like, you know what? I'm 52 years old. I'm uh, way out of the Lamello demographic. But to me, that shoe speaks more to like current basketball and sort of even current 
culture more than an Air Jordan 3 does. You know, like I don't need to live in 1988 forever. And I've kind of gotten, I've kind of come to grips with retro to where like, I think a lot of people unfortunately have spent an awful lot of money and probably not satisfied themselves going by the buy what you like motto. Because, yo, like sneaker companies aren't stupid. Like they make a lot of shoes and they understand what people like. And if you go buy, buy what you like, you could buy pairs of shoes every single day for the rest of your life. And you're still never going to be satisfied because you're always going to be looking for that next thing. You know, I, I think you can flip that instead to buy what you need and maybe look at what you have already first. And like, if you have the last 15 pairs you bought that you've worn like one time each, if that, maybe you can slow down for a bit. <laughs> but uh, my my personal mantra on this stuff now is like, if I had it back then when I was a kid or when I was a young adult or whatever else, then I already had it, you know, like I don't need it again. And if I didn't get it back then, well, I made it. I'm still here. Like, I clearly didn't need it. So, you know, I'm not saying I'll never buy a pair of retro shoes again. You know, I'm sure something will crop up at some point and be like, oh, shit. Like, I definitely want that. For the most part, I'm not going to. I'm going to try and stick to, like, a lot of current stuff. And then kind of my corollary to that is if I can't walk into a store when I want that shoe and find it at retail and buy it, then I, I I don't need it. Like I'm not buying, I'm not waking up at a certain time to make sure I get on, you know, Nike.com at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning to buy whatever it is. No, not interested. I'm not re-downloading the sneakers app. Like I deleted that after the Virgil, the 10 debacle where I don't think I got anything but error messages and straight to sold out. Like I'm not doing that again. Not interested. I, I understand they're trying to do like all this kind of non-consumer stuff on there. Shout out to Brandon Jinx, like doing like some new show for them. But like, I'm sorry, I'm just not downloading it. I, I don't want to, not interested. So, you know, it's kind of a case where like the market has become so gigantic and the options have become so many. Like, I feel like for me personally, the only way to deal with it is to narrow it all down and to cut it way back. And, you know, I think you can, you can do that and you can narrow it down a lot and you still have a lot of choices. I feel like even with that consideration, I still have more choices now than I probably did when I was a kid. And that's when I really fell in love with it. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's cool that you're still finding things you like. I, I, I do too. And, and it's nice to, it's nice to narrow it down, like you said. And that's some uh, really good advice and um, really great perspective. Of course, lots of that in the book. Great history, both today in our conversation and in the book. I'm, I'm almost done with it. And I even saw my son uh, pick it up and peek through it. And uh, the art in it is uh, is a testament to that. I'm not he's not ready to um, go through the history with me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got I got his attention. So I'm going to leave it there when I'm when I'm done with it and uh you know he's 11 he's into sneakers he won't admit it but uh but uh really great and uh I, i'm really enjoying it and no and i was gonna say i mean it's really cool the kids are picking it up and you know i think even when i first had the idea to write it like i think a lot of what was going through my head was like to give context to all this because like i know from in the suburbs like you walk into a footlocker over the past couple of years and you look at the wall and it's just overwhelming 
you know it's like it's this crazy array of colors like it's every era represented at once like and, and no you don't have a you don't get a map you know it's not like it's not like there's it's not like it's a museum where there's signs up being like okay this is this shoe and this came out then and was worn by who like i walk into a sneaker store now i don't even know like what the real lebron or Giannis is because they have like sub lines and it's just like uh, uh, no idea what i'm doing and that's just the current stuff let alone all the old stuff and i let alone if you're like a 13 year old who's just getting introduced to this world so you know, hopefully, even if someone younger doesn't really understand all of it, or if they don't know who Michael Cooper was, or like, Lord knows who Chuck Taylor was, you know, hopefully it kind of gives them a little bit of a rough idea of what all came before. I think the hope is, and like what it did for me, and this was, again, like a multi-year process writing it. So, and I was like, obviously neck deep in it the whole time. Like, you know, hopefully knowing what came before makes you more eager or more interested in what comes next. The whole reason retro is such a big thing is because it w- the stuff was so big when it was new. And it wasn't always a case of like, oh my God, I want this new shoe because it's so cool. It was no, it's like, I want this new shoe because it's new. And hopefully this will grow on me. And I think it's kind of the same now where it's like, I would rather see people buy something that is a little out of their wheelhouse and maybe they're not too sure about but it's brand new so it's like you're you're on like kind of a leading edge of something instead of just kind of knee-jerk like all right i'll just buy this pair of jordan ones or i'll (laughs) just buy this pair of air force ones like yeah we know those are cool like like those have been cool for 50 years like don't you want something different like I, i i don't know i don't know like to me like retro to me is like going to mcdonald's every day you know, you know, it's going to be all right. You know what it is. It's no, it's nothing strange. It's probably, I mean, well, okay. It's going to kill you eventually, but you know, you'll probably survive it that day, but it's like, man, don't you want something different? Like, don't you want to know what else is out there? And to me, like the cool thing about sneakers has always been like, there is something cool out there and like, there is something new. And it's like, wouldn't you rather have it now when people aren't sure about it rather than like 20 years from now? when maybe some of this stuff gets retro to be like oh yeah like i was like oh do you have that dad did you have that when they were new no i was still (laughs) buying stuff from 1988 yeah sounds sounds familiar (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's all right not alone not alone you know i was gonna say i was in malaysia i was in kuala lumpur when the um when the black cement jordan threes came out last like i guess the first release they did with nike air on the back and i remember like I wanted those so badly in 1988. Like I hadn't known Jordans. I saw the Spike and Mike commercials. It was like, oh man, I need these. And I was like trying out for the high school volleyball team. And I remember going to the coach, like into his office to be like, hey, if I make it, can I wear these like black Jordans? Like having this conversation, as it turns out, I didn't make the team and I didn't get the shoes. So that didn't matter at all. But I ended up getting them and when they first retroed in 94, I wore them until they cracked and fell apart. So like when those were coming back with Nike Air on the back, I was like, oh man, like I'm going to have to get a pair of these. And I happened to go buy like a JD Sports in Kuala Lumpur and they had them on the shelf. And this was, I think, because Malaysia is like 12 hours earlier. So I think it was a day before they came out in the States. And I picked them up and looked at them and I was just like, I don't really need these. 
And like, that was kind of one of the moments where it was like, yeah, the whole retro thing, like, I'm just kind of over it. You know, like if I don't want those anymore, and those were the shoes I probably wanted most when I was like, you know, at that age or whatever, like, I, I don't think there's anything that's going to make me say like, oh my God, I have to get these no matter how much they cost. Like, I think that was kind of a, a, a chapter ending. You know, you talked about going to stores and, and shopping around and you established a lot of relationships that you said you're using, used in this book. And obviously throughout the years that you made, you know, companies and stores and things like that. But what about what do you remember about actually visiting those stores and the days, you know, whether it's the shop owners or other people like you still know some of those people now, like, you know, people from Nike or, or these brands like for sure, for sure. And that was the thing. And like, I, I think that's what not what the brands didn't understand because i think they understood it very well but i think they wanted to just you know make everything boil it all down to transactional so it's like now we have apps and it's like alert push alerts and like you can buy it right away and like you know to me a good day of sneaker shopping like back in the early 2000s wasn't about like getting everything you wanted like you could have a really fun day like going out and buying absolutely nothing go to supreme you would go to stucy you would go to union and like you would go to uh nort back when it was on eldridge street you know and stash maybe was there you would go to uh clientele opened like down the block from supreme like you would go to all these places and sometimes run into the same people you would go to dqm and it's like yeah like i'm still friends with a lot of these people i'm still friends with dave from dqm like i mean he's upstate now so like i haven't seen him in a long time you know jesse from a life um Stolly worked at a life a lot of the guys from supreme who i don't see anymore or haven't seen in a long time but like you know we keep up on instagram and whatever else like i would see them at supreme during the day and then go to max fish at night and kind of like establish these relationships to the point where like you would get to the point you'd walk in and like they'd know you were there and what you were looking for and whatever else so and again maybe it wasn't a day where they had anything but the relationships mattered more than the actual product you know, like it was cool to go around and like see who was there. Will was at Nam de Guerre. Like a, a lot of that stuff does stay with you. You know, I think like and even going to a lot of those spots, like that was kind of cool in and of itself. You know, it was like you had to know these places. You had to know like not only what was dropping when, but like who carried what or whatever else. You know, A Life would have like Japan exclusive type stuff. And not everyone knew about it. You know, it wasn't a matter of waiting in line for hours. It was just a matter of like knowing to go to this block on the Lower East Side and ring the buzzer where they didn't have a real sign or a show window and go in, you know, or you knew that new SB stuff was coming out and Supreme would probably be crazy, but Dave was going to get it at DQM so you could go there. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of that's been lost. You know, I think a lot of it has been again, seeded to the brands where it's like, I'm just going to schedule a push notification for this shoe and try for it on sneakers. And then if I don't get it through sneakers, I'm going to get this email from StockX and I'll just buy it there and probably spend yeah. way more than I have to. But it's like, yeah, but that's just about buying a shoe. And it's like, again, buying a shoe was like, yeah, it was a big deal, but like, it wasn't the be all end all, you know, or like, Certainly getting a very specific shoe wasn't necessarily the be-all, end-all. I remember going to Supreme. So I don't know if it was the day they dropped or the week, right around the same week. But when the Zoo York Dunks came out 
And like, I really wanted a pair of those because I knew guys who rode for zoo and whatever else. And like, obviously it was such a New York thing. And I get there and they didn't have any, or they had one pair. I think they had like a pair of, they had like a size six. And in the current climate, I probably would have bought that because I could have flipped it. Right. But back then it's like, well, no, they don't have my size. I'm not going to buy it. So they had the Keenan Milton, they had the chocolate dunks, like the black and gray suede with the gum bottoms and like the embroidery on the back. Nice. So I bought those. I didn't really want them, but they had them in my size. I'm like, oh, it's a cool shoe. I don't remember the specifics of this, but I was on Nike Talk all the time then and probably said something about it. And some dude in Hong Kong was like, yo, like you want to trade me those? Like I'll trade you a pair of Danny Supas for them. I'm like, oh, like the Supas were one of the very few first like first batch SBs I didn't get because again, they sold out super fast in New York. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And like, we didn't know each other. We only knew each other because we were both like kind of vouched for on Nike talk. And like, I was editor of slam at the time. And my, my ID on there was slam ed. So it's like, I was pretty legit. I thought, so I sent him off. I didn't wait. You know, we didn't say like, okay, like we're both gonna like, wait until you get them and then send the other pair. Like I just sent them to Hong Kong and the supers eventually, you know, they showed up and I still have that pair. Like they're starting to, the, it's weird. Like, I don't know if it's the blue or the orange, like some of the color is starting to break down kind of weird. Yeah. It's almost like turning to clay. I, I, I don't know what those shoes, I don't know what they did to those, but they're in rough yeah. shape. But like, I used to wear those to Mets games. I remember like, and reading on Nike Talk how to unstuff the tongues, like you cut them with a razor blade at the base and like pull the extra foam out. So like I gutted them. But yeah, I mean, I still have that pair. And it's like, that wasn't what I went out for that day, you know? And like, there was never, there wasn't consideration. Well, oh, well, the chocolates are worth this and the supers are worth that. So like you have to throw in, it's like, no, I have a pair of shoes you want. You have a pair of shoes I want. Let's swap. Still find that funny when people are like, yo, this pair of shoes is, worth whatever whatever no they're not they're worth like 70 dollars. <laughs> someone will pay you a lot of money for them but like establishing worth or value based on like what the richest dumb people person is willing to pay you and then assuming every other pair should sell for that much is just i don't know that's just insanity to me like i just don't understand it at all yeah scars for a hundred thousand or I mean, if you're taking something from '85 and they they don't exist anymore, I guess. But like, I mean, even 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 if it's a pair, wild. like even if it's like the literal flu game twelves, <laughs> you know, it's like I look at a lot of that stuff and think like, yo, like okay, that pair is obviously historically significant, whatever else. But to me, like for the ball boy who got them, like the kid who ran Jordan applesauce that day and like kept him playing, and you know, Jordan was like, no, those are his when someone else is going to take them for that dude, they're like super significant. Cause you have like not only the shoe, but like that story and like how you got them and whatever else, like for the next person down the line, they're just a trophy that you paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars for. You don't get the story doesn't come with it. I mean, it does. You can tell people the story, but you're not connected to it. You just paid a bunch of money for a pair of shoes that Michael Jordan wore once. All right. Like, congratulations, I guess. And the rare stuff means even less to me. You know, it's like, I, I I look at like those Paris dunks selling for 40 grand or whatever else. Like, yo, like there are millions upon millions of pairs of dunks out there. They're all made like in the same factories. And like, okay, this is made with these artists' 
print material that's cut up so there's less of them all right like i guess or the scars pizza ones like if you're someone who's never even been to scars like or barely knows what it is like why is that shoe important to you at all like i don't know again to me i want like personal significance with this stuff like to me like and a lot of the shoes i've kept you know are shoes i've worn because it's like you wear a shoe and like then then the story is like from you you know obviously all shoes and now more than ever because brands realize like oh you need a story you need storytelling to sell something there's a story behind the design there's a story behind the athlete there's whatever else but when you have it new in the box it's just like every other pair of that shoe you know whether there's 10 pairs or a million pairs like they're all the same you know they're fungible if that's the word people use now but if you wear them and you the more you wear them the more they become actually your shoes like they kind of mold a little bit to your foot, you know, like that scuff on the toe that you got in London, stepping up the curb to get out of the way of the taxi because you forgot they come from the other direction. That's something that's personal to you. And like, even if your pair is a pair of Panda Dunks that they made a million of, well, only yours has that scuff from that spot made by that action. Like that becomes a one of one if that's so important to you. You know, I, I think like, again, it's like, it's, it's almost like a trick where it's like, there's all this attention paid to like, what's rare and what's, uh, what's valuable. And it's like, I think people just get it backwards. You know, it's like, I think you should determine for yourself, the value of something you should determine for yourself, like what you like and like how it becomes special rather than letting brands do that themselves. I think that's great advice for, you know, the 11 year old trying to navigate his way or the 18 year old trying to build a collection wants to be, you know, a real sneaker person or a old guy like me who's trying to say, what do I really need? Because, you know, you got to you got to you got to narrow it down some way. Like you like you said, you know, you you can't buy everything and um, you can't really uh, try to you're going to go broken. You're going to go crazy. So I, I, you know, I think that's that's the right attitude you have to think, make that know, connection I, yeah and i was gonna say i think to an extent you keep it simple right like i think when we were kids or i mean certainly when i was a kid like i just wanted a cool pair of shoes i mean yeah there were ones i specifically wanted like i remember when the first air jordans came out like i definitely wanted that but for the most part like i just wanted a cool pair of shoes that i wasn't going to get clown for wearing and like that left it pretty wide open you know like there were plenty of options for that and you could get something on sale that was cool. And I think like the same is true today. I mean, if not a million times more so, I mean, you go to any like sneaker um, boutique website and you go to their like on sale page and there are a billion pairs of shoes. And most of them were cool on some level when they came out and still are, you know, as long as you're not hunting like the very specific, very new thing, like you should never, ever have to pay retail let alone resale and still have a cool rotation if that's something you desire totally and like i said it, i still grapple with this you know when i want to buy something i don't need or or buying something for a story that doesn't mean anything to me and uh so on but actually i wanted to ask you i didn't get a chance you know you've been involved with a lot of books written and and participated um i know you're doing this book now but but what can we look for? What, what are you thinking about maybe 
maybe next as opposed to a part two uh <laughs> that for the sneakers you didn't uh you didn't get to include yeah i'm not sure I'm not sure. There, there was a point when we first started, when I first started this book, when I thought like, oh man, I should do like, you know, the Air Jordan 1, like the history of just do Air Jordan 1. And uh, now that the Air movie came out and stuff like that, you know, I feel like that story's probably been covered a bunch of times. You know, it would be fun to dig deeper into into one topic, but at the same time, like, it would be fun to do something else kind of wide ranging as well. I don't know, like, and it's because I find myself talking, obviously, about like the whole quote unquote culture and how I feel like it kind of went sideways. And like, I don't know if there's an entire book in like kind of I don't know what you would call it, but like almost like subcultural subcultural criticism where it's like, <laughs> again, like, what the hell are we doing? But I don't know. I mean, I think I'm going to try for now, like I'm so kind of focused on trying to like talk about this book and 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 get this book out there that. I'm kind of giving myself like maybe until like Christmas or so, maybe a little before Christmas to like stay with this one, let this go and kind of see what comes from that. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Well, give yourself some time. You worked hard on it. I know it was a, it was a, it was a, a long process, but definitely worth the wait. And, um, you know, the great part about this is we get to have conversations, hear more from you about things including the book but uh but other things so uh yeah definitely liked hearing hearing you uh elsewhere and uh of course here today so yeah thanks so much russ yeah thank you anytime